But I'm excited to be with you, and I believe that God has a word for us this morning in this text, a very important text. And as we look at our true north and we continue to try to find our way in a world that in so many ways is lost, um, this is an important topic. And I covet your prayers as we move forward, but um, I think we do have a problem. Our problem is that our politics are not satisfactory. We have anarchy on one end as a possibility and then tyranny on the other end. And then the best we've been able to come up with as a humanity is democracy, which is probably the best option, but it's fragile as we try to navigate that middle ground between those two polarities. But what would God have us believe about government and then do in response to our belief about government? Now, I don't want to tackle this entire conversation in the next 20 minutes. That's impossible. But I do value the conversation greatly. I really do enjoy politics. I know you guys are getting to know me, and and I enjoy engaging in conversations about policy. I really do. Well, at least I used to when we actually talked about policy. I'd like to get back to that. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1, has this to say. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Since there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have It's approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. As Jim Wallace says, God's politics always challenge our politics. God's politics always intends to benefit human well-being. God's politics incline us toward, first, those who are least capable for caring for themselves, the weak, the poor, the vulnerable, those on the margins in life. God's politics challenge liberals and conservatives alike. But the answer to our problem, that our politics are unsatisfactory, is not to disengage from life and politics. Jesus was not an Essene. The Essenes were folks who who chose to live out in the desert during the time and place where Jesus lived. They were ascetic. They, They removed themselves from society. Jesus did not live this way. Politics is ultimately about the ordering of our life, our life together. 
not apart from one another, but together, just as Susan described during our offertory time. And this is work we must engage in as Christians. Brene Brown tells a wonderful story about a village where all the women formerly story's not terribly politically correct because it's not just the women that are supposed to wash clothes, but that's how it was in this village. The, the women would wash clothes down by the river. And then they all got washing machines. And depression uh, broke out in the community because they were no longer washing clothes together down by the river, but they couldn't figure out why. But what we understand is the absence of community is damaging. We are made for one another. We are made for this world. We really are. We're supposed to be here living and doing. Jesus said to Pilate, I mentioned this last week, but it bears repeating. Jesus said to Pilate, you know, hours before he was killed, my kingdom is not from this world. He did not say my kingdom is not for this world because Jesus would not have said that because his kingdom is for this world. So politics is about the ordering of life. When I was studying to be a preacher, we were taught this, that there's no lack of information in a Christian land, but something else is lacking. And it is something one person cannot communicate directly to another. Now, that was kind of sobering to learn because I'm up here thinking I'm going to change the world, you know, every week for 20 minutes. God can, but it's not exclusively up to this time and what goes on here. It's very important. But a lack of information is not what is at hand. It's, it's our ability to, to see God in the world and then do what God would have us to do. And we have to have one another. We have to live amongst one another. We have to study the word together. We have to live in community together. We have to pray for one another for us to really jive with what God is calling us to do. And while this quote helped me as a preacher, I think it also speaks to us as citizens because we live in the age of Google. There is no lack of information. My buddy was telling me about his his workspace. He works in an office and and somebody would ask, it's kind of a smart aleck thing, but it made me laugh. Somebody would ask a question out loud and then somebody would, you know, sarcastically respond, I don't know, let me Google that for you, you know drawing attention to the fact that we don't have to wonder anything anymore. We just type in the question and see what the computer tells us. That's the world we live in now. There's no lack of information, but sifting through it and knowing which information to trust and ensuring that we receive a fair and balanced selection of it, well, that requires a great deal of nuance and discernment. I think we all live in a time where because of our echo chambers and the way that information is is thrown at us, it is more difficult than ever to talk politics, to talk about life in a way where we can remain civil with one another. And the challenge, one of the great challenges for us as the church today is to do just that. My assumption is that you want to live well. It's actually not an assumption anymore. I've been here six months now. I'm getting to know you. I know that you want to live well. But sometimes we get confused about what that looks like. And sin is why we get confused. But those of us in Christ, 
as Ephesians has taught us, and I've been hammering to you, those of us in the membership in God's household who have been adopted as sons and daughters into God's household, those of us who are heirs to God's very kingdom, promised everything by God who sent Jesus to, to restore everything. Ultimately, we are called to, to help order life as God would have it to be, to help others and ourselves find our way in a world that is lost. And, and I, I don't hesitate to use that word lost. I really don't. Because remember, I told you, lost things are loved things. And we want to reclaim what was originally God's. You being at the top of that list. You are made for community with God because we've been reconciled with God through Jesus. And what that means is that God loves you. That sounds like something I'm supposed to say, doesn't it? But hear it. God loves you and me. Hear it. God loves you. I sing it with Hattie almost every day. Jesus loves me. That's what we do with our kids. Don't let it be tried. As they sing it back, and she does. She can sing. I think she's going to be a singer. And she sings, Jesus loves me. I feel inside that she may have a chance to believe it. I pray that she does. And we've also been given the keys because of how God feels about you and what God has done through Jesus to love one another, to be reconciled with one another and to love one another well for the ordering of our lives to literally work out well for all of us, for us to thrive. Our mission statement is this. We are here to engage the whole person each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anytime, anywhere, with anybody. And we have been created so that relationships both with God and with everybody else are a major factor in us being formed as persons who follow Jesus. We are made to impact one another for the better. It is exactly what was going on down by the river as those ladies washed the clothes. And this is what I see when I look at Jesus's life. Jesus is a man for others. Jesus went around seeking out opportunities to teach or heal or bless, just impact the lives of others for the better. And in doing so, he shows us how things are. So we're, we're, we're here to engage each whole person with the whole gospel, the term gospel. It comes from the book of Isaiah. It is a political term, and it literally means that the news of God, the news that God is and has, is winning, has, it's, it's complicated. The news that God has won the battle once and for all over evil. And God is rescuing in the process now of rescuing God's people. The gospel says you're loved and you're cared for and you will ultimately be okay. Remember I told you in the end, everything will be okay. And we look around and we know that everything is not okay. So we know it's not the end. Yet. And not just okay, but wonderful. We are going to thrive. We are going to have abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we would have life, abundant life. And we believe that this gospel and our understanding of it is the key to this abundant life because God wants us to live well. And this passage in Romans 13, if it's about anything, it is about God's desire given through Paul for us to live well. Because the goal of politics is for life to be ordered well. 
So let's talk about this for a second. Paul's context and, and, and what drove him to write this, these words in Romans 13. First of all, Paul wants us, the people that he was writing to at the time, but extending to us today, Paul wants Christians to trust the government. It can be tough. I've seen it firsthand, very tough in Haiti, where I've been a lot over the past few years, where we actually don't feel safe to go right now because of the distrust in government there. I think back over the course of my lifetime and the presidents of our country in the time that I've been alive. I, you know, from the time I was around 10 or 11, 12 years old, we, Bill Clinton came into office and he was, you know, so well-spoken, charismatic. And then he, you know, did what he did. And then George Bush's son, W, became president and seemed like a nice man. And then September 11th happened and we didn't think he was very smart and we just ripped him to shreds for several years. Then we had Barack Obama. Seems to me like a really kind, sweet man. We ripped him for several years and now we continue to rip that office. I'm just being honest. Not even contending that it's not fair. I just want us to see how we tend to talk about such. And Christians aren't exempt. But Paul's telling us we're to trust government. Paul's declaration is that leaders and authorities are are put in place by God. What I'm asking us to consider and to ultimately realize is to view this point not in a way that leads us to, to deify leaders, but rather to recognize that God's authority is who bestows the authority on earthly figures. God does not relinquish God's authority and transfer it to civic leaders or anyone else for that matter. What God does is exercise God's own authority through us. Power and control is to remain with God, and we must remember that. We ha- when we imagine we have power and control and we run with it with our desires and with our inclinations, with our propensity to sin, well, that's when things can go horribly wrong. Nero was the emperor of Rome during the time that Paul wrote this. And Nero literally believed, we believe, that he was divine. Nero believed that he was God. So for Paul to say that God has instituted the authorities, this would have been news to Nero and Rome. This was an incredibly political statement that was chosen and written to challenge the very authority that might have been presenting itself into the lives of Christians who were trying to understand their citizenship in a kingdom that was not from this world, but was for this world. These are important words, and it is so important for us to understand that it's not so much that we have been given this authority to rule and to reign and to run wild with, but that God remains the one with the authority, and he's chosen to bestow it upon creation to steward it well. And that is what Paul is saying here. And we must believe that the authorities are there because God desires for this world to be ordered rather than chaotic. Next, Paul is aware that at this time in history, what was going on? Christians literally were waking up in the morning and wondering if if it was going to be their last day on earth because Nero was that tyrannical toward Christians. So Paul is writing these words to a group of people who have reason to believe that government might kill them and saying, you need to trust the government. Now, the reason he's doing this is because Paul understands what the goal is. 
And it's for Christianity to advance. God has, has given Paul a vision of what is to happen. And Paul wants it to advance. And Christianity doesn't advance. It doesn't grow through birth. It's not a we grow because we have children. It, we grow through conversion. Like we're out there trying to get people to understand who God actually is by telling them about it. It's called evangelism. You guys do it very well. Hashtag gospel conversations. I mean that. And that's how Christianity grows. And Paul understood this. So what Paul is saying is, hey, even though it's dangerous and even though it might get us killed, you don't need to be a public dissident. That's not going to help our cause. That's not going to help Christianity to be able to advance and to grow. The coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, which is, we, man, we sang, so, we sang those truths in every song this morning. The coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is not set up as a tyranny here on earth, but it is set up to confront tyranny, to confront dehumanization at all costs with the news of God that Jesus of Nazareth is God incarnate and that Jesus of Nazareth has come to make everything different. I have to tell you an aside. This isn't in my notes, but I saw this last night and it, it was, I didn't know what to make of it. There's a, there's a college now that's called the, the University of the Incarnate Word. It's in San Antonio. It's Jesus University. It's hilarious. They got beat 35 to 7 last night. They should be better. (laughs) Jesus is literally God. That is what we believe. And Jesus came to show us how things are. Jesus of Nazareth's kingship, which we read about in Psalm 2, alluding to it, foreshadowing it, is radically different from all the earthly systems of authority. A radically different upside-down authority which has its aim and goal to rescue us and to restore our humanity, our humanness. To give us life abundant, to help us become who God originally intended for us to be. And to restore things to the way they are originally intended to be. But we live in a time where it's not finished. In seminary, they called it the already but not yet. And I like that. Some of the best about the kingdom of God, of which we are all citizens if we follow Christ, is that it is just not at all suitable for there to be certain people who are not able to live well. We've talked about it the last two weeks ad nauseum, but we're going to keep talking about it. Each person Matters. It's what our mission statement alludes to. It's what we must believe as followers of Jesus. And we must ask the Holy Spirit to grant us Jesus' very eyes to see where in the world there are gaps. And we are fostering an environment that allows people to not believe that they matter because each person matters. Our authorities have been instituted by God. And while they are not perfect, they are ultimately there to help with this ordering of life. And the church exists right alongside of it, the authorities, to help speak into it, move it along, and to fill in the gaps where they may exist, to help ensure that each person has a chance to believe that they matter. Because if they don't believe that they matter, they can't live in a way that they do. Uh, There's some brothers that used to mow the cemetery in a small town. It was called Rose Hill Cemetery in a small town in Tennessee. It was a way of helping support their family. And at the cemetery, there was this tall, real strong, well-built fence. And on the other side of the fence were maybe 60 or 70 graves. And 
they asked those that the brothers asked those that hired them, "Do you want us to go over and mow over there as well?" And the the employer said, "No, those grave sites don't matter." Well, who are those people? The brothers asked. Well, who cares? The employer said, they died in jail. They died paupers. They died without family. Don't mow there. Just let the weeds grow. They don't even have names. You see the problem there. We can't, can never feel anywhere remotely like that. We are being called to something entirely different. To to help foster an environment where everyone matters to inspire our governments to provide an environment where everyone matters a few years ago I received a phone call and the news was literally unbelievable someone extremely close to us was calling me from jail they had been in a single car accident and the zealous freshly trained and narcotic-spotting young officer mistook the emotions of frustration and tiredness with being high. And it was a terrible misunderstanding. Several thousand dollars later, damaged reputation. Community can turn on you pretty quickly, by the way. Let's not be like that here, please. Months of court appearances, Meetings with lawyers, months of waiting on a drug test, you know that is going to exonerate you because you know you've never used drugs. It was a brutal time. I, I called the police department on behalf of, of this person and tried to get them to, to reason or listen. And they, they were not mean to me, but there was nothing that they could do. They were standing by the arresting officer's report. And it was a glimpse of... For our family, what we don't live every day wondering or feeling like. But some families do. Look up the reports. There are, regardless of what you think about the situation with immigration in our country, and it is complicated, but there are thousands of people living every day just down the street from us who wonder, who who don't go outside unless they absolutely have to. Afraid. Now, how do you thrive in that environment? There's tremendous work to be done. There are minority families all over this country who view authorities differently than I do. It's just the way it is. And it shouldn't be as much that way. It shouldn't be at all that way. And we must work toward it not being. And, and this occurrence in my life with this loved one, it helped fix my eyes a little bit more on the realities that are out there, the realities that the church is called because God's authority is the ultimate authority to help push back on in the ways that we can. You see, we're here, the church, to foster freedom, the very freedom that Jesus brings us. And freedom is not to get to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That's not freedom. That, 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 that would not satisfy you ultimately, I believe. Freedom is recognizing the constraints and the boundaries that we do have in our lives and being okay with it. Being able to live well within it and encourage encourage others to as well. We are here to represent God in the world and and to show others what Jesus is like. Jesus 
submitted to authorities as well in his humanness. And this can help us inspire good and to help people feel valued, loved, to believe that they matter. I'm telling you right now that God's design is for us to leave behind this idea that we're not okay. And that what God is doing through Jesus in our world today, God's kingdom coming is not sufficient for us as the church to thrive and live well because it is. And we can help others live well if we have that attitude. I told you last week that God's kingdom is where things are as the king would have them. We are called as the church to help things look more like God would have them look if God were truly running the show. And God is. God saved us from our sin, but not to save us from this world, to save us for this world so that the world may know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The kingdom is coming. God is redeeming all things. And God has asked us to come alongside. God has bestowed authority on us to come alongside God who ultimately has the authority to help him restore all things. That's our call. I mean, if I'm going to cajole any of you who may be visiting or wondering what the church at Harpeth Heights is all about, that's what I want it to be all about. We're not a country club. We wouldn't be a very good one. We're not people who have it all together. At our best, we are hopefully people who understand what God is doing through Jesus and that God has called us to come alongside and do it as well, even in our imperfection. And I am so excited about doing that with you. Let's pray.